Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways he calls us to go deeper still in relationship with him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Canfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Hey, if you haven't yet taken the opportunity to follow Deeper Still on your favorite podcast platform or to share it with a friend, what are you waiting for? Come on, really. Too many good conversations, too much good community, too many things going on for those who listen. So if you haven't done it yet, be sure to do it. Share the love, share it with a friend, and help us get the word out by subscribing today. So a question for you as we lead into today's episode, have you ever been traveling along your faith journey, your life journey, and all of a sudden you're realizing things are not going as planned? This is, this is not the way it was supposed to go. Or maybe God doesn't behave the way that you think he should be behaving. Or maybe sometimes, friends, let's just face it, we make such a colossal mess of our lives. We, we do the things that we never thought that we could do. And then we wonder how we're going to carry on, how we're going to pick up the pieces. And I think what we learned through all of this is, is it turns out there's not really a map for life. There, there's really not, at least not a map that shows us step by step exactly how everything is going to pan out. And so what do we do when we recognize that? Well, it certainly has been the life journey of my guest today, Inez Franklin, which is why she wrote the book Unchartered, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. Not only does she tell her own story, and she does it graciously and honestly, but she reminds us that we simply can't plan our faith journey because we just don't know how it's going to go. We don't know what life is going to throw our way. We don't know all of the choices that we're going to make that will throw us off course. But what we can do, what we can do is we can let go of control. We can actually accept that life will be filled with obstacles and twists and turns and we'll make mistakes along the way. But what we can do is use all of that, everything life throws at us, to draw us closer to God's presence and His grace. And so that's what today's conversation is all about. In addition to being an author, Inez serves as a teaching pastor at Mariner's Church in Southern California. She received her Master's of Divinity degree at Fuller Theological Seminary, and she is the founder of Trojia Ministries, a Christian discipleship and leadership ministry that cares deeply about the character of leaders. So friends, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself today, saddle up, settle in, and listen in as Inez and I go deeper still. Inez, welcome to Deeper Still. It is so great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, it's my joy. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about some of the mutual connections that we have, and um, that's always so fun when I when I have someone on and I haven't met personally, but we start to realize that you know the world is a smaller place than sometimes we we know. So I I, I love that. I know. We're fast friends. Very quickly here. I love it. (laughs) That's right. So I do want to start out first things first. Actually, first thing really is first. Congratulations on the book. This is your first book um, that you've written. And it's I've just seen wonderful things about it. The endorsements are wonderful. I know how busy it is when you're trying to launch a book into the world. And so just congratulations. I'm, I'm curious how this experience has been for you. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for your kind words. What was what's been amazing is writing the book felt like such a massive thing to do. And I thought that was it. It's going to be easy after this. But there's so much more work to do on the other side of it, right? To let the world know that it's out there. And I, I'm enjoying that. It's, it's That part is fun, but it's also a lot of work. And what's really beautiful is I'm starting to get emails and messages from people as they're reading or are finishing to read the book and how the book is helping them. And that is just such a confirmation, you know, that I heard God well and that He spoke through my words and through this effort. There were times how I was writing at 2 a.m. going, oh my gosh, I don't even know if this is going to help anyone. And just hearing people's response just makes me um, just um, trust God even deeper, right? Because 
a lot of times when we're in the middle of something, we're worried that things aren't going to work out. But looking back at how God has been faithful to us in the past helps us keep going. And this is just more material for me to trust God even further, no matter what. That's so good. And, you know, writing is such a process or any kind of ministry, preaching, teaching, writing. It's like you you put so much time and energy and preparation and you do have those moments of wondering, is this going to make a difference? Does anyone care? Mm-hmm. Is anyone actually going to ever pick up this book that I just spent all of this, you know, my heart and soul pouring into? And then when you see that that happens, it's such a rewarding piece of, in God's kindness, you know, what He's able to do that you actually get to see some of the impact that you make. And it's it's such a yeah. beautiful thing. Yes, it's encouragement for the journey. <laughs> that's right. And don't we all need that? That's for that's for sure, no matter what we do. You know, one yes. thing I, I was looking through your social media, and I have to ask about this because I saw that recently you were on That Sounds Fun with Annie F. Downs, and yes. we are big fans of Annie here. And yes. when I saw that, I, I had a little bit of like, a, oh my goodness, you were just with her and on that show. So I have to ask, uh, how was that experience for you? Wonderful. You know, I've known Annie for about seven years, I think. And she is such a real, genuine, kind person, such an encourager that then always to be around her, I always feel like pumped up. (laughs) She's like, how can I help you? I want to help you. And she's always like that. So it was so wonderful to be with her. And what so easy to have a conversation with her without having to like work too hard because she just makes you feel so welcome. So yeah, and it's so well, and that's how she comes across when you listen. And so I think especially in today's world where there's so many, you know, quote unquote, celebrity Christian platform people out there and and we see so many of them that are not the same person behind the scenes as maybe their public any. persona. And, you know, it's so encouraging to hear that, um, you know, when people are the real yes. deal, we need more of those people in the world. That's true. That's true. And she is. She truly is. Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, Inez, we have a lot of ground to cover uh, today. We have a short amount of time, but you have an amazing story. Your book is amazing. So many leadership and life and faith lessons that I want us to dig into today. But I thought what we could do is actually go back to the beginning of your story. Because you grew up in Puerto Rico. You were in a family, raised in a family of seven children, raised by a single mom. And I know that you faced some enormous challenges growing up. And I wonder if you could just paint a picture for us on on where your story began and how that shaped uh, where your story headed. Yes. Uh, First of all, big shout out to single moms. Can we just Uh, pause for a minute and acknowledge how hard it is to be a single mom and how much support they need from us. Everything from recognition to like hands-on, helping, giving them a break, you know, all kinds of ways which we can support single moms. So single moms, yay you. Yay single moms, that's right. Yay you. And I love that you say that because we're posting this uh, right leading up to Mother's Day. And I think sometimes, yes. And so sometimes I think even around Mother's Day, as much as we love to celebrate women and we love to celebrate moms, the single mom can still get overlooked. And so I love that you know that from first experience, what the impact that a single mom can have and um, just how hard that is to, to juggle it all and to do it well and how amazing they are. Yeah, so my mom, she was, used to tell us all the time, I'm both your mom and your dad, because my dad left when I was a year old. So, you know, Mother's Day cards, she had to be the one to prompt us to do that because, you know, there isn't that other person to say, hey, kids, let's go get something for mom or let's write her a note. She had to do that. So she would put on the, the dad hat to tell us to do something for mom. And, uh, you know, it's hard because a woman can't do both. The reality is we can't be both fathers and mothers. You know, it, that, was, that was a lot to, for her to put on for herself. She provided for us. She obviously taught us. She was our comforter. She did everything by herself. And th- it was too much. There were seven children. I'm number six of seven children. And as much as my mom poured herself fully, uh, fully devoted to her family to keep us together, our uncles tried to separate us and send three kids that way and two kids that way. And she said, no, I'm going to keep my kids together. 
But the challenge of that meant that she ran out of fuel. She ran out of resources. She ran out of time. And so often, you know, especially the younger ones, we, we just didn't feel seen. And I dealt with not only having uh, the pain of a father leaving me when I was so young and that loss of not having a father, but also just a mom that just didn't have enough to give, even though she was giving everything she had and then some. And that sort of put in me this, my personality, my siblings, we've all handled it very differently. So no cookie cutter approach here. But for me, the way I handled my poverty uh, context, the lack of father, the the lack of attention from my mom or even some of my siblings, because everybody was survival of the fittest, you know, just make it work, was that I tried to overcome that with achievement, with um, trying to trying to overcome things by becoming better than others, by working harder, by having a perfectionist mindset. If I were perfect, if I was doing everything right, then they would notice me and I wouldn't be disposable. I wouldn't be uh, someone that you could reject because I mattered. And that carried into my life and this sort of performance um, drive, which took me in many times in the wrong places. It took me to the wrong relationships. It made me work in ways that were just crazy. Some days I work seven days a week. To some extent, I still struggle with some of that. I work very hard. It's hard for me to rest. And that's sort of the consequence sometimes of that kind of an upbringing. But many years of my life was me trying to say, I'm never going to be poor. I'm going to overcome that. I'm going to work hard and make money so I never have to be poor again. I'm never going to be dependent on someone else that might let me go, uh, might dispose of me somewhere along the journey. So I I had trouble with trust relationships. Um, And I was, hey, I have to survive. I I had this mindset of, if things get hard, I have to make the tough decisions so that I can move on. And I made some really tough decisions that were not wise. And so along this journey, I ended up divorced twice. When I was a young woman, 18, and then at 23, I had two abortions because I, I couldn't deal with having a child at that those times. These are decisions I made to try to survive, but I look back and they were foolish decisions for which I have a great deal of consequences to live with. And I just didn't have the wisdom or the healing that I needed to make better decisions at the time. Mm. Well, and I appreciate you sharing that and just your vulnerability. And we're going to, we're going to circle back to some of those places and talk about your story of redemption, because you say that your story is a story of redemption and it's so beautiful, but I don't want to get there yet because <laughs> I think there's some lessons that we can learn along the way before, you know, we always say, um, what is, what is the saying? We don't want to get to Easter Sunday before we we've gone through good Friday. Right. Yeah, and and you true. have some good, good Friday moments in your story. And it's part of the reason that you wrote this book because yes. one of the lessons you, you have learned is that life doesn't always go as planned. Life life in our faith journey does not always um, pan out just the way we think it will because we work really hard or that we set goals and we think we can achieve them. Life is messier than that. And so take us back to um, maybe some of those experiences you had even as a young child. I know you have a great story you tell in the book of when you were seven years old and first encountered God and started to learn that life doesn't always, in our faith journey, doesn't always work out the way we think it will. Right. Or the way we want. (laughs) So my mother, being that she was already overwhelmed, uh, she also was had rejected uh, going to church or having any kind of uh, faith community. She would tell us all the time, I have my own relationship with God, and you guys can have it too, and everyone's on their own. But my abuelita, who was a devout Roman Catholic, she took us to church. And I got to experience uh, church with her a few times when I was a kid, and then once I became 16 and we moved to California, like that was the end of that. But those first years were very formative. First of all, she took us to catechism where I learned about God and he created everything. And I was a very inquisitive seven-year-old. And I remember when I was hearing about God created everything, I asked the nun, where was, where was God standing if there was nothing before he created it? Which 
That's a really good question when I look back. <laughs> Seven-year-olds ask great questions. It's my favorite season of kids. And But the nun was a little stumped, and she didn't respond, I don't think, at her best or even, I don't know, maybe that wasn't her best. But she got very upset, and she sent me to the back of the chapel to pray for forgiveness for my lack of faith. And so that was not a good start to my journey of faith because quickly I realized that God, or at least I assumed that God did not accept questions and doubts. So maybe something was wrong with me. Already I was dealing with a great deal of rejection of all kinds. The last thing I needed was a God that was going to reject me simply for asking a question. So strike one with God. And then the second time, I, second class, she was telling us about heaven and how wonderful heaven was and how different than this world that we live in. And I was thinking, well, hello, is heaven's that good? Let's go there now. And But I didn't want to ask because if I asked the question I wanted to ask, which was, why are we all here? If that is where we're headed and it's a better place, why are we wasting time in this world? Let's go now. Um, I didn't want to ask that question. I didn't want to get in trouble again. And so I decided that day I was going to go to heaven. And at a young age, I literally was going to take my life not because I was depressed or any of the sort. It just made logical sense to me. There's a better place to go. Let me go from point A to point Z in a hurry. There's no reason to wait. Let's just pass go and let's hit it, you know. And thankfully, the Lord stopped me. It's a powerful story that I collected in my mind but shared with no one for so many years, mainly because I thought people would think I was crazy hearing about from the God. I already was nervous about talking about him, let alone saying things about him. But I knew, I knew that God was the one telling me, you don't get to choose when you go to heaven. That's my choice. And he called me to endure, to know that he had a purpose and that he would be with me all along. But that was so strange to me because I felt like, why would God do that? Why would God leave us here in suffering? I had never read the Bible I, I didn't listen to a single, uh, all the other times that I went to the church, which wasn't a lot, I just w couldn't listen because I had disconnected from this God that clearly existed, clearly was powerful, did not like my questions, and was telling me I couldn't go to heaven until he said so. So none of that made sense to me. So I, I went on life kind of on my own and left my faith kind of on the sideline really believing that God was there and once in a while saying the Lord's Prayer because that one really got put in my head, but not really knowing Jesus, knowing grace, knowing the story, the beautiful story of God's redeeming purposes, uh, and really was lost and blind for many years. Mm. You know, there's a couple of things from that story is one, it's just a good reminder as we sit here as as women of influence, as, as people, even our listeners who have influence over young people who are asking questions about their faith. Yeah. It matters how we answer. And it, it and that message from you, even at a young age, to to let people know it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have yeah. questions. In fact, that's part of our faith journey. You know, you talk about it as a mystery in so many ways that even when we believe in God, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we get all the answers, that we have it all figured out. And that's part of this unchartered journey that you're talking about, that it's it's beautiful and it's mysterious and it's it's rewarding. And at the same time, it's hard and it's full of yeah. obstacles. And if we don't think it's full of obstacles, we're, we're kidding ourselves. Would that be a fair assessment? Very much. And more importantly, we're going to, we're, we're headed towards a disappointment. And I see this as a pastor. I've walked with people who maybe they were, uh, they went into faith at a very, very young age. You don't even remember when they gave their life to Jesus. And that's beautiful, right? To grow up with a childlike faith and have, have just this wonderful upbringing in the church and having these safety that comes with it, but also the wrong mindset that we're not going to struggle on the journey of faith, that then when they do have a deep struggle, it hits them so hard that it bounces them off altogether. And I, I've seen people who are like so angry with God because they thought, wait, that shouldn't happen to me. I've been a Christian all my life. I've been in prayer. I've been generous. I've been going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all the right things. Why isn't 
why is this happening to me? I, I remember as a chaplain at a hospital, a children's hospital, I was speaking with a woman and I don't hold any, I, I don't think she did anything wrong. It really was the cry of her heart. She said to me, she goes, why is this happening to me? I'm a faithful woman of Christ. Why didn't this happen to a woman who isn't very good at taking care of her child, who would have been a terrible parent to begin with because they're addicted to drugs or something like that? And what she was basically saying is like, wait, my formula isn't working anymore. I thought, I thought this would guarantee me to have healthy children. Her, her daughter had a heart condition and had to go into open heart surgery as a newborn, which is just terrifying. And she just couldn't understand why that was happening to her. And that's an example. And there are many examples of when we get surprised by the obstacles on the journey of faith, but we really shouldn't be because biblically, there are many stories in the Bible of people who things did not work out the way you would think they would or how they expected they would. Absolutely. And I love, one of the things I love about your book is you litter those stories throughout yes. your book where, where you remind us that we're part of a bigger story, right? We yeah. here as the people of God are part of this bigger history of a story about the people of God who wrestled with the same things that we wrestle with, that faced obstacles just like ours and some very different than ours. But as they did their best to follow God, they came up among these, these things. Things. And there's tons of not just lessons to be learned, but I love that you say it points us to relationship. It points us to the presence and the, the character of a holy God. And so what are what are maybe one or two of those stories um, that you told throughout the book? I know I'm putting a lot of pressure on you because there's a it's lot okay. of biblical stories you tell throughout the book, but what comes to mind? Who comes to mind as you think about who can we relate to in the Bible that face some of these obstacles in a similar way? Yes. So I'm going to mention three very quickly on rapid form. One of them is the people of Israel themselves. They were rescued by God. Yay, we're getting out of slavery onto a promised land, and they end up in the wilderness. What? <laughs> this is not, you know, we have no food, we have no water. This is terrible. I, I want to go back to Egypt. And God takes them the long way, not the short way, completely differently than they would expect but God's presence was with them the entire time, telling them when to go, when to stop. That was the gift that he gave them. That was the certainty he provided for them, his presence, the same thing he provides us today. Another person, Joseph, who had these incredible dreams at a young age, that he is going to one day be basically a ruler over his family. He, his family is going to be coming to him for uh, provision. And he shares that, and he ends up getting sold into slavery, and then he does better. He rises up into power, and then he gets um, accused, falsely accused, ends up in jail and forgotten, and he rises back up. The poor guy goes through this gyration of up and down and up and down, not what he expected whatsoever when he had that first dream. But the story behind all of that is that God used every single part of his story for his good purposes, and he never left Joseph whether he was in the high time or the low time. And then lastly, one of, I mean, I have lots of stories in the Bible, but another one is the story of the women at the well. Because this is particular, and for any of your listeners who feel that they have done too much in their lives, too many things that they know God would be, quote, displeased by, that they feel like they cannot be redeemed, or if they are redeemed, they can't be used for the purposes that God intended to, for them to begin with, that, okay, I Maybe God had a plan for me, but now there's a plan B or C or D or F. And the woman at the well breaks that down. It broke it for me because here's mm -hmm. a woman who in, in her story and my story are very parallel, married multiple times, was living with a man who was not her husband when she met Jesus. And yet Jesus offers her the most remarkable thing. He reveals himself to her. And then she goes off and tells people and she is used for his purposes. First evangelist in the gospel of John. So all of our formulas fall apart, but God's presence is always consistent. Either he will come to us, and as he did, Jesus came to the women at the well, or we can rely on him like the people of Israel followed God all over the desert. Either way, God is always present, and that's, that's his real certainty that he provides us. It's good. Mm. It's good. It's good. 
Let's talk about the woman at the well a little bit. And you said you have a you have a personal connection yeah. with that story, and you tell it really beautifully in the book. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about how that story specifically resonated with you, because here you were a young girl who you know had this faith, but as you shared, you you know your journey was uncharted for a long time, and you were trying to find your way, and you had a lot of things that happened before you fully came back to um, living uh, for God in the way that you wanted. And so, share a little bit about how that particular story resonated with you and why. Well, first of all, God's kindness is unbelievable because. When we, when I came back to the church, it was very close to my 40th birthday. I was at that time, had gone through my second divorce. My son had gone into a deep journey of drug addiction, which went for seven years. I'm happy to say that he's drug free, has been for many, many years now and is doing well. But that was a really dark season for him. I was, and at the time I was having an affair with my boss that we were pursuing marriage with one another. And he suggested that we go to church out of nowhere. He's like, we should go to church. And I had lost 25 pounds. I knew that my life was like at the lowest, lowest point, having done what I thought I would never do, which was to have an mm -hmm. affair. So I th said, okay, let's go to church. And on October 20th, 2002, at 10.15 a.m., we walked into Mariner's Church and the pastor opened the Bible and started teaching about John chapter four, this woman who had been married multiple times and was living with a man who was not her husband. And that was me. And I remember, I mean, it was unbelievable. It was the first time I had ever um, heard the gospel that we're on this side and there's a ravine, that's our sin. And on the other side is God. And Jesus is the one who bridges us to our relationship with God. I'd never heard the gospel before. And I remember just this, oh, okay, I'm home. You know, this is where I need to be. But then it took many years for me to go from that to re relieving the shame that I had for my past mistakes. And what blows my mind today is how she was unqualified. She, she was a woman. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman with a messy story. All of those things would have made her unqualified. And just one chapter before that is the story of Nicodemus, a religious leader, highly respected, comes to Jesus and asks Jesus tough questions. Jesus answers him, and yet he leaves not believing. She chose to believe in Jesus. And that contracts between those who look like they deserve, but they reject Jesus and those who are humble and repent, and Jesus meets with grace and love, um, was really what took me forward on this journey of faith and kind of went on, it went on a journey. And even that journey, after, after becoming a believer, it was still an uncharted journey because it took years for me to let go of shame, to really accept this incredible grace that was given to me. It wasn't like it was a quick, great, let's go, Jesus, let's do stuff. I still had a lot to work through and grow. Mm. Well, and I think that's so important for people to just hear because so often we do think we have to have things figured out or mm -hmm. that, you know, when maybe when we become a believer, when we know certain things that automatically our heart or our life should look a certain way or be in a certain place. And it's still a journey. It is still a mystery of faith so often and I want to talk about two things. One thing you just mentioned and one I want to ask you. One thing you said is, I had done the thing I thought I would never do. Yeah. It's a really profound and powerful statement because I would imagine we have people listening who have found themselves in a similar place where they they did the thing they thought they would never do. And they're looking at themselves right now and they're saying, I how, why, how, who am I? They're asking so many questions and the shame is just won't Huge. leave them alone. That's so true. What, so true. What would you say to that person? Well, just as earlier you said, we cannot enjoy Easter until we sit on Good Friday for a bit. I think that's part of what I needed to do. I needed to sit for some time, really understanding the the choices that I made, what got me there, who got hurt through that process, and then understanding the cost 
of that, those choices, but not staying there because the grace of Jesus is much greater than anything we do. What he did on the cross was extremely costly and it paid for everything, 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 everything. And so it's good that we understand, wow, I did the thing I did not expect to do. It's a, it's a time of humbling, right? To recognize, okay, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I, I wanted to be a good person and I w- I'm not as good as I thought. The reality is I, with enough time and the right circumstances, I'm likely to do even worse things. And were it not for Jesus who would keep me from doing that. And so, yeah, getting to that place of releasing shame and for my brothers and sisters who might be stuck in shame, recognize, first of all, that, you know, accept it. Yes, I did do the thing I shouldn't do. Don't call it anything less than what it is. Don't gray it. Don't minimize it. Grieve it. And then give it to Jesus. Put it on that cross because that's what he came to do. His arms are open wide to receive whatever it is that we're carrying. We don't have to carry that anymore. And we can give it to him because he willingly went to the cross for it. And then we can live in the freedom that we, he bought for us, the life abundant that he bought for us. And we want that too. And so, yeah, I would just encourage my brothers and sisters to read the Gospels again, be reminded of what Jesus did on the cross, and then take the, take the time to say, Jesus, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to stop carrying this. Yeah, you have a you have a great quote in your book that says there's too much at stake for us to live Amen. enslaved by shame. Yes. I mean, what a what a beautiful statement. There's too much at stake for us to live enslaved by shame. And you tell your story of a, of a, your pastor saying to you, "Do you love Jesus enough to leave your shame behind?" Yeah, what a powerful Which is question. the story, right? And that connects to the story of Peter, our pastor. We were in Israel when our pastor took us to the very same place or same area where Jesus came to Peter and said, "Do you love me?" And and Peter, you know, he was a fisherman, and Jesus called him to follow him. He left everything behind, but after rejecting Jesus, as Jesus predicted which by the way meant that Jesus knew Peter would do this and yet still called Peter to follow him. God knows Mm -hmm. everything. He knows our future. And Peter went back to fishing, not because fishing was bad. I'm sure he still went fishing once in a while after this moment, but going back to fishing as believing that that's all I could do. I now have disqualified myself. And Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love what I did for you? Do you love me enough to know that I have paid for this so that you can now be part of my master plan to redeem the world, to bring others to Christ, to bring others to freedom? That's why there's so much at stake. I know that shame is contagious. If we experience shame, we treat others. We, we basically have others experience shame by our own actions, by our words. If we're enslaved by shame, we're going to be judgmental and uh, perfectionistic. All of that is enslaving, not just for us, but for others. Mm. Well, and one of the reasons I think that's so important, I think there's so many people out there who get caught in that cycle. They get caught mm. in believing lies about themselves, of believing that Jesus' forgiveness can be for other people, no matter what they've not done. For them. Mm-hmm. But not for not for me, not not for them. And I think it's such an important message. And I think one of the beautiful things about your book and that word unchartered is not only in this life of faith are we going to encounter obstacles and and things that come at us from the world around us. Life is not going to go as planned. But sometimes we are the thing. <laughs> we are the thing that didn't go as planned. You know, we also are dealing with our own actions and and consequences of those actions that um, we have to say, oh, this is not what I planned, but it's not the end of the story. And I think right. in the same way where we, if we believe the lie that we're not going to have obstacles in our faith life, if we believe the lie that we're such a good person that we couldn't possibly do the thing we thought we would never do, that also can wreck us from the inside out. And so this permission that you're giving us to hold all the pieces of our story together and say, once again, this is uncharted territory, friends. We're on a journey together and God is with you and he is for you, but none of us know how this is going to pan out. 
in the end, we know how it's going to pan out. But in the day to day, Jesus wins in the end. We know that. But in the day to day, life just throws so much at us. And there's something freeing about you saying, that's okay. We're, We're on an uncharted journey together. Yes. And that posture keeps us much more dependent on God. When we know, when we have let let go of that desire for certainty or controlling the circumstances, then that could be very unsettling, right? You kind of let go, but now what? So the, the, the switch from that is to go to dependence. And that deep dependence is what then takes us day by day. And interestingly, it becomes a source of encouragement for others. Like even my sharing of my story as vulnerably as I have, and it's taken time to learn to do that. It's not for everybody, but this is what God called me to do. And what I watch is as I do that, other people then experience freedom as well. So maybe someone listening doesn't have to go share their story in a book or tell everybody they know, but there's at least one person in their lives that they can talk to and let them know, hey, I'm living this life of dependence and I'm letting go of shame. And here's some things that I have done that I just want to like put out there so the enemy doesn't have any more power over me. Yes. I find that when we keep secrets, we are actually firing up the enemy. And he's like, great, I got something on you now. And I feel like, no, let's not do that. Let's not give him a single ground, not an inch of ground in our soul. Tell one person, tell one yes. person, someone you trust, someone who's obviously trustworthy, and release yourself from having to carry that. It's mm-hmm. so important. Yeah, that's so important and so good. And I think people people need permission to be able to do yeah. that. And so thank you for giving people permission by having the courage to share your story so that someone else can can be set free from maybe circumstances or shame that they're facing that they just don't need to be in bondage to anymore. Amen. So I, I just want to say thank you for that. Sure. You know, one of one of the other things you brought up is control. That uh, this need to control and to know um, the outcome of of everything. And uh, let's talk to our all our control friend, uh, control freak friends out there <laughs> listening. <laughs> what what do they need to know about the freedom they can find maybe by releasing control as they go through their faith journey? Yes. So I, I, in my book, I talk about control as a blinding mechanism. It blinds us from seeing God at work in our lives. When we're trying to control tomorrow, then we can't see what God has done or is doing in our lives. We can't see what he did because maybe it doesn't fit our plan or what we thought it should happen. And God could be doing something incredible, but we don't see it. We can't see his presence in a situation. So control is blinding. And the opposite of control is not just simply to let go. So in my book, I talk about active surrender as the solution to this uh, really desire for control and a craving for certainty. We surrender, yes, but more importantly, we actively surrender, which means we have to replace our action of controlling and trying to drive the circumstances a certain way to doing what God calls us to do at the moment and at the time. And so actively surrender means, okay, God is calling me to X. It could be something really simple, like spending time with him in the word or calling a friend or going and serving in a certain way or just being a certain way at work. There's things that God is constantly encouraging us to do and to be. Spend our energy there, right? Use our energy doing those things and being those things, not to earn God's love, not to earn our salvation. That's a done deal on the cross. It is finished, period but to keep us from trying to control things, trying to crave for certainty or, or trying to manipulate God into a certain outcome. That's sort of a, an elixir, right, to keep us from, from that tendency every single one of us has. It's that anxiety of like, well, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's actually good because we get to experience today. And, yes. and be in the presence of today. And maybe there's something incredible happening today and you're spending all your time worrying about tomorrow over which you have no control. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And there, there's, there's so many things like that. I think control is such a big one for so many people. And so just once again, giving them permission to, like you said, not just let go. I love that term active surrender, that there's more to it than simply letting go and, and letting God navigate with us this journey. And I, I love as you're, you're, as I'm listening, you know, the subtitle of your book is coming through my head that this is about navigating your unique journey of faith. And so it does look yeah. different for all of us. And we're all going to yes. come up against your obstacles are not my obstacles. And, and my the things that I want to hold on to are not the same things as yours or anyone else listening. And so this permission, once again, that our journeys with God are unique and they're personal and they're, they're intimate. And so they're going to yes. look different. How we do this is going to look different for each one of us. Very true. Very true. We might have some things in common may have the same tendencies, but it doesn't pan out the same because we all have a different context. We're living different people, different personality, different journey. And that's actually incredibly beautiful because as there are so many stories in the Bible, we love them all. There's so many interesting stories. Every single person has an incredible journey of faith that, which I, at the end of the book, I, I encourage people share about your journey of faith your journey of faith. Don't talk about somebody else's. Talk about your own because it will be a source of encouragement for others. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You do give us throughout the book some practical guidelines, some, you know, some, this is not a how-to book. And I love that, that you say this is not about, um, it's not about formulas, right? We, we want to come up with formulas and this is not that. <laughs> Um, and feel free to say more about that. But but you put in some spiritual practices throughout the book. And some, maybe some people listening aren't familiar with what we mean by spiritual practices. So I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that and how they can help be a guide for us uh, on our journeys. Yeah. So in my book, I try to deviate us from creating maps, meaning obviously a map helps us get from point A to point B and we kind of know what we have to do to turn left, turn right, whatever we have to do. Sometimes on our journey of faith, we do the same thing. We create like, okay, I'm a believer, then this is going to happen and then that's going to happen and da, 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 and we create ourselves a nice little journey for ourselves and to get to that final destination. And of course, we already discussed it doesn't happen as linear or as smooth as we all would like. So maps are out, right? Because they're about what we want to happen and or we think we is going to happen in a certain order and that doesn't happen. The second thing I try to talk our, against is all of our control freaks, sorry, all of our control freaks just like all like, you know, had a little like <laughs> our control friends just breathe, all had a, what breathe. do you mean a map? Sorry, I know. It's okay. It's okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just couldn't help. No, myself. that's good. That's good. <laughs> and then formulas about how we try to get there. So if for some reason our map isn't working, whatever we created isn't happening the way we expect, then our other side is we create formulas. We go, okay, if I do A and B, then C will happen. So I want C to happen. I've already planned for C to happen. So I'm going to do all the things I need to do to make sure C happens exactly as I want it to happen. And those can be very enslaving and, I mean, really just keep us in this very anxiety-driven, um, distressed state on our journey of faith. Instead, I talk about being in the presence of God, in relationship with God. Well, we have to have a practical way to do that, right? I can't just tell you, build a better relationship with Jesus when you're like, oh, how do I do that? You know. So the spiritual practices that I share at the end of each of my chapters, sometimes I have a couple put together. They're just ways for us to be in this sort of um, posture of, being in relationship with God. And the first thing to be in relationship with someone is to understand that they're present. So my very first chapter, when I talk about control, I, I talk about practicing the presence of God. Let me tell you what spiritual practices are. So spiritual practices is an old tradition of the church. And basically, these are things we do that open up ourselves to experience more of God and for Him to do a work in our hearts as only He knows. And many Christians are practicing spiritual practices without even understanding that term. So if you pray, that's a spiritual practice. If you worship, that's a spiritual practice. Um, if you're generous, if you give to your church or you give to a, um, some organization, that's a spiritual practice. Mainly these are things that we do that we know are good for us, spiritually speaking, 
and because we open up ourselves to God. So in my book, I provide a bunch of those, um, and they're all tied to each chapter. So whatever I'm talking about in that chapter, I try to give, here's a, something you can do to strengthen yourself, to apply what you're learning toward a relationship with Jesus. I, I found the spiritual practices to be extremely helpful to be in this constant state of dependence with God, kind of like, you know, a runner has to work out to be in good shape to be able to run. So we're Christians, and therefore we have to be doing things not for earning purposes, but for our health, our, our strength as Christians, our strength of relationship. We have to be doing these things to help us grow. I hope that helps. That's that's great, and I I think it's really helpful for people to when they say, okay, I want to just do one thing, you know, to have those really <laughs> concrete practices that really help and then start to help us build our lives around these rhythms and practices that allow us to enter the presence of God in the midst of a really, most of us live really busy and chaotic lives. And so just, just leaning into that, I think is, is super helpful for people to know what to do. So thanks for, thanks and for sharing those. Things. And there's lots of great ones. Yeah. And they're little, they don't take, you know, they don't have to take a lot of time. You can have very little time, even reading scripture, read one verse. It's all the time you have, read one verse, meditate on that verse all day. Meditation, another spiritual practice, write it out, journaling. So these are all simple. They can be very small. They can be very long if we spend more time in them. They're very practical and easy to do. So good. So good. Um, Ines, I can't believe we're almost out of time. These conversations just fly by. I feel like you're you're an old friend. I feel like we could do this all day. I, I want to get to what I call my deeper still question that we ask everyone who comes on the show. But first, I just want to say, is there anything else about the book? I mean, I feel like we're just scratching the surface, but anything else you want people to know that would be helpful for them or a way to encourage them to um, not just pick it up, but just the heart and soul you put behind it in your story? What, what else might you tell someone listening? Well, as I'm sharing with you, a lot of times I get on my teach mode, and I hope I didn't do that. I was always speaking. I'm a teacher at heart, and I go to teaching mode. But in my book, I feel like the Lord really um, worked through my heart, worked in my heart and through my heart to model His kindness, His gentleness. You won't find the book to be a, a book that's judging or critical or uh, condemning in any way. It's it's really a, a, a worshiping of God's kindness. Um, and mm -hmm. so, if I didn't accomplish that in the podcast, I think you'll experience that when you when you read the book. I think you'll be encouraged by His kindness. And then the the other thing too is that. Um, it's got Bible teaching. It's got my story. It has the spiritual practices. There's so much there to do. Read it slowly. Take your time and, and share it with others. Because again, there are so many people who need this encouragement. And I'm grateful that we get to share. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I felt like reading it just felt like I was having a cup of coffee with you. And um, I did feel encouraged and I felt inspired. And and when I got to different pieces of it, especially the piece where you're vulnerable about your story, for me, that was just, I was in tears just reading mm. the grace with which and the humility with which you share your story. And then the hope that that offers other people. Um, Amen to just be set free. And so I know that's not the primary purpose of your book, but I just thought it was it was so powerful. And I just, again, just want to say thank you for that. And and there's so many other good things in it. And I, I do hope people, to, uh, everyone listening, just pick it up, buy it, share it with a friend. It would be great for a small group or, you know, a neighborhood discussion to talk about how we're, we're journeying and navigating our lives of faith together. So um, thank you for yeah. writing it. So good. So helpful. Well, Inez, uh, my last question for you is the question that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. We call it my deeper still question. And it's because, I mean, and maybe your book and this conversation is the best conversation I've had leading into this conversation because it shows we're all on a journey. We are mm -hmm. all on a journey. And, and just when we get to points in our lives sometimes where we start to think we maybe figure things out, God often uses those moments to challenge us, to push us, to remind us that we're not the center of the universe, that we don't have it all figured out, that we aren't in control. And, and I call those deeper still moments. And so I'm, I'm wondering for you right now in your present circumstances, where is God calling you to go deeper still? 
Yes, and easy to answer. He's calling me to go into deeper rest. I shared with you earlier that I have this sort of performance mindset trying to accomplish and whatever in order to bring value to myself because I felt so disposable as a child in so much of my life. And God keeps calling me deeper into this idea of resting in Him, resting that He loves me enough, that I have all that I need. And again, as much as I know that in my head, I know God is trying to put that deeper in my heart, especially now that the book is out and I could get all caught up with how many books that I sell and how many people are reading or what are they saying. And God's saying, rest in me, rest in me, rest in me. So that is my spiritual practice for 2023, is the spiritual practice of rest. I'm being intentional of creating vacation time. I have more vacation time this year, but I mean by vacation is like a weekend away or a few days away than I've ever had. I've never had this much scheduled vacation, but I did that on purpose too, because it's hard for me to rest at home. And so I'm trying to be uh, very intentional to rest in the Lord and say, God, you have that. I can be just in your presence. And to the extent that I can make that time, I'm using it. So that's my spiritual practice. And I'm reading my book multiple times. Right now I'm listening to it in the audio version because Everything I wrote, I need, just like anyone else, over and over and over again. So, wow. Wow. So good. So helpful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you just for your joy and your spirit and your your presence and your willingness to share your story and encourage other people as they go on their journey of faith. I so appreciate you being here today. It's really been my pleasure. Thank you, Sue Ann. Well, friends, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for listening and just going on that journey with us. I imagine some parts of that conversation maybe challenged us or encouraged us or maybe made us feel uncomfortable, but I hope that's a good thing because I hope it reminds us that we are on this journey together and we don't have to have it all figured out, but our God is good and gracious and He is with us and for us. And so I hope you hear that encouragement loud and clear today. Thanks again so much for being part of the Deeper Still community. I would encourage you not only to subscribe to Deeper Still, follow along, but be sure to go to Amazon or your favorite place to buy books and pick up a copy of Uncharted. Navigating your unique faith journey, share it with a friend, read it as a small group, and do be sure, go check out Inez on social media, check out her ministry and her teaching, all the wonderful stuff she's doing, and be sure to check out her website, InezFranklin.com, and you can learn all the stuff she does. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there who are listening, as well as all of the amazing women in our lives who have shaped us, informed us, and who we are today. We see you. We love you. We appreciate you. What you do matters, and so be encouraged today. We'll see you back here at Deeper Still in two weeks when I'll be talking to my dear friend, Jeff Crosby. Jeff is the president and CEO of the Evangelical Christian Publishing Association, but we're going to be talking about his new book called The Language of the Soul, Meeting God and the Longing of Our Hearts. So I do hope you will come back and join us for that. Until then, go in God's grace. Mm